If you were here last week, hopefully you remember that we talked about servants, what it means to be a servant, how uh, the body of Christ is meant to, to work together, and how everybody has uh, something that they can do uh, to serve the body of Christ. So when we're talking about servants of the church, or servants in the church, in, in, a, in a big way, we're talking about everyone, everyone who's involved in the church. There's, there is something that you can do to serve the body of Christ here at Edgewood Bible Church, or if you move, get involved in a church, become an, an active member there, that is one of our uh, roles, it is one of our responsibilities, and it's one of the pleasures that we have as Christians, is to be a part of the body of Christ, to help serve the body of Christ. But in particular, what I want to look at this morning is... Um, there is an aspect of the, just the general service that the body does, but then there are, there are more formal uh, positions of service. Maybe you are the head of a ministry. Maybe you are a Sunday school teacher, something like that. And then there are offices in the church. And the Bible talks about two offices in the church, elder and deacon. And we are not going to uh, focus on on elders as much, I am going to be talking about them a little bit because they are um, intricately woven into this whole discussion of deacons, but we're going to be focusing on the the office of deacon this morning and trying to, to just look at what the Bible says about who a deacon is, uh, what they do, and then try and draw some, some application from that. Um, I don't know where you fall in this spectrum, but there, there's kind of a, a, a spectrum of orderliness. Some of you, I'm guessing, are just disorderly in everything you do. And you can tell <laughs> because your stuff is just everywhere. Um, you're just a random thinker. You, you'll do one thing for five minutes and then, oh, and you, and you go over here and you do things something for five minutes and then you're back over here and you're just kind of disorderly. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just how you are. There are other people who are just strictly regimented in everything that they do. And then there are some people kind of somewhere in the middle. I, I think I'm kind of in the middle. If you look at my um, sock drawer, you'll notice that I, I like to have my socks folded in kind of separated, and I have uh, a drawer where I keep all my white socks, like my gym socks, athletic socks, that kind of stuff, and then another drawer where I keep all my dress socks. And some of you are like, they're socks. Blah. Just put them all in. It doesn't matter, right? Um, it's a silly example, but, you know, that's, that's the way that we tend to work is some of us like order, and some of us like order in certain things, like my sock drawer tends to be organized, but then if you go over and look in my office, um, you might be appalled at the sight of my desk, just because I have stuff everywhere, you know? So, like, what's that about? Well, I bring that up because as you read through the, the Bible, one of the things that, that you can't really escape is that God is a God of order. He has a, a certain way that he likes to do things, and he has given us uh, certain principles of order that we are to follow. Um, if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you see that one of their problems in that church was they were disorderly. When they got together to worship, it was one person standing up, over here and, and saying something, and then another person over here standing up and saying something, and then someone was speaking in tongues, and then there were like five people who were like, oh, wait, I, you know, let me say something, let me say, and there was chaos, there was just like disorder. And Paul says, you know, if somebody came in from the outside and looked at that, they would go, what in the world is this? <laughs> it's chaos, it's disorder, and it's, yeah, I don't like it. And so he tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
Verse 40, all things should be done decently and in order. There is an order to how you are supposed to worship God. There, there is a, a correct way to do things, and it's orderly. If you look back in the Old Testament, um, you see that Moses in Exodus chapter 18 was trying to be the judge of all of Israel, and he was overwhelmed. There, there was just too much for him to do. And thank goodness he listened to his father-in-law, and his father-in-law Jethro said, look, Moses, you can't do this all by yourself. You need to establish some sort of order for this to be taken care of. And so uh, pick trusted men and put them in charge of groups of a 1,000, 100, and so on. And, you know, like, let's get some order here. And he did it, and it was great. It worked. And, you know, we could say, well, that was Jethro, you know, just uh, being practical, but that was, I believe, God leading Jethro to, to help Moses get organized so that the Israelites could function properly, so that the important stuff wasn't bogged down in, in trying to decide, well, whose goat is this? You know, like Moses didn't need to spend his time on that. Somebody else could do that. And so there is, there is a certain orderliness to the way that God asks his people to do things. In the tabernacle, in the temple worship, there were all kinds of different aspects of order to the services and when sacrifices were given and whatnot. And I bring that up because some people say, well, you know, let's just get together and, and do church. And on one hand, I want to say, yeah, let's do that. Like, let's just get together as the people of God and be the church, right? And it sounds kind of great, you know? But pretty soon you, you start running into these things, well, like, who's going to make this decision and who's going to do that? And, and you need some sort of order in the church, right? And so God gives us in the New Testament um, certain people who are supposed to be the head of the church. And those people are the elders or the overseers. Um, they're kind of, those two words are used um, interchangeably and throughout the New Testament. And 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3 says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So that's a, a good passage for establishing the role of of elder in the church. And Peter is saying, look, I exhort you guys to do this stuff, and I myself am an elder, and the church that I'm working in, this is what I am doing. I am I'm shepherding the flock of God. I'm organizing things. I'm, I'm overseeing. He says, exercising oversight. So he's making decisions. He's, he's helping things run smoothly, in the church. Is he doing it because he thinks he's the cream of the crop, the best? You know, Jesus said, I'm the rock. Pretty awesome, huh? You guys want to be just like me, don't you? Well, all right, let's get this whipped into shape. You, there, you, this, you, you, you. I don't care if you don't want to do it, go. Is that what he's doing? No, he's, he's exercising oversight, he's shepherding the flock, but he's, he's not doing it under compulsion, he's not doing it out of pride, he's not doing it because, well, I have to, because Jesus told me the church was going to be built on me, ah, man. No, it's, it's a thing that he wants to do, he does it willingly, he does it according to how God would have him, and he's not doing it for shameful gain, um, he's not doing it for pride, but he's doing it eagerly. He's not domineering over those in, that he's in charge of. He's, he's a servant leader. 
but he's an elder. And as an elder, his, his main job is to shepherd and make decisions, but then there, there are some other things that he is responsible uh, for primarily. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 Paul is writing to Timothy, a pastor or an elder, and he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we see elders are those who who oversee, who make decisions. There are also those who preach the word. And that's one of their primary functions or roles is to preach the word to the congregation, to help them, to preach the word to the world, but specifically to those who God has given them care over. So they lead, they preach. One of the interesting things that we're going to look at in, in a few minutes, but I'll mention it here, in First Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, there are... Uh, qualifications for elders and deacons given, and they're very similar, but one of the key differences is that elders are supposed to be able to teach. Deacons, it doesn't mention teaching. So that gives us another clue as to, you know, what are these elders supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to lead, they're supposed to give oversight, and they're supposed to preach and teach. And that is kind of uh, a summation of, of the role of elder. Shepherd, preach, give oversight. Now, that's great, right? But what happens if the elders are, are distracted from doing that? Well, that's the situation that we see in Acts chapter 6. And I believe Acts chapter 6 is a great example of deacons in action. Now, if you do some study on this, you'll see that there are some people who say, ah, these guys aren't deacons. Um, And the reason, well, there are many reasons, but some people say, well, the word deacon is never really used there, and that's true. Um, But the the function that they serve, the, the example that they give, is, is so close to what uh, 1 Timothy 3 talks about that in my mind, I, I don't think there's any way that you get around saying these guys were deacons. Um, so turn to Acts chapter 6 and let's look at the first couple of verses in that chapter. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." So here we have this, uh, this situation where the church is growing. It's growing like crazy. Um, some estimates of just how big the church was, they, they range from anywhere from like 10,000 to, to 20,000 people involved in the church at Jerusalem. Another thing that, that is interesting about the church in Jerusalem at this point is it's largely made up of Jews who grew up in the area, um, called themselves Jews, spoke Hebrew, all that kind of stuff. But then 
there is a large population of Jews that are returning back to Jerusalem from all over the world. And the primary language that they were speaking was Greek at that time. So we have this group of Jews who are um, kind of the, the homegrown Jews. And then we have Jews who are coming back from all over the world, uh, primarily speaking a different language. Now, what they were doing as part of the ministry was uh, the church had, had organized care for the widows, which is a, a great thing. And we see several times throughout uh, scripture, God's love and care for widows and orphans. And so this was something that the church was doing. They were providing uh, food or possibly money for the widows to buy food, uh, but they were taking care of the widows. And then problems. Well, what are the problems? The problem is that this group of Hellenistic Jews or Greek-speaking Jews, uh, that may be a, a more accurate term, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, came to the, uh, the leaders, came to the 12, and they said, hey, our widows are getting overlooked. They aren't getting the same care that the, the widows from around here are getting. And, and this was a big problem. Um, now, there's, there's no real indication, um, was this on purpose? Was this some sort of prejudice? Was this some sort of racism amongst the Jews? It doesn't necessarily tell us, but it is clear that the 12 or the, the apostles took it seriously. And they said, oh, okay. So it, it was a real problem. Um, for some reason, whatever it was, those, those Hellenistic Jews... Greek-speaking Jews, their widows weren't being taken care of as well as the other widows. So, that's the, the problem that is presented. The other problem is this. If the apostles, if the 12 who were recognized as the elders of the church there, if they were to try and solve that problem and make everything work out, they probably, they could have done that. Uh, they were very capable. Um, I'm sure that they, they could have come up with a plan that, that would have worked well. But what, what was the problem? The problem was if they devoted all their time to, to figuring out how to fix this, they would have been distracted from their primary function of preaching the word and giving oversight to the body. They could have spent hours, days, weeks, months trying to come up with systems to, to make sure that all the, the widows got exactly the same thing and they probably would have done great, but they had the wisdom from God to realize, you know what, this is a good thing this is a real problem. We want to solve it, but we don't want to be distracted from our primary ministry, the ministry of prayer and the word. And so we see, uh, starting in verse two, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, are they in some way demeaning the act of serving these widows? Absolutely not. In fact, they're saying this is really important and we want to solve this, but we realize that our primary function is this, not that. So what do they do? Well, they, they come up with a plan. Verse three, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the solution, they go to the people and they say, all right, well, look, here's the problem and we wanna solve it, uh, but we need help. So people, pick out from among yourselves seven people who you trust, who can do this work and, and let us know, who are they? And 
again, we see verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So their primary uh, reason for doing uh, this act of asking the congregation to, to send people to them was so that they could focus on what they needed to focus on. Verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and you have this whole list of people, and they come forward. And then uh, verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and then they went out and they did it. It's not in here, but it's assumed. <laughs> they, they went out and, and they did this task. They accomplished this task that they had. A um, couple of interesting things is that the, those servants came from the congregation. They came to the elders and were, in a sense, commissioned by the elders to do this particular work that needed to be done. There needed to be a problem solved. And so the elders uh, recognized these seven guys and they said, yeah, we think they're great. So we're going to commission them. We're going to lay our hands on them. We're going to pray for them and then go do it. In laying their hands on these seven, they, they um, were giving authority to those seven to handle the problem. Now, it's interesting too, what, what kind of people were these seven supposed to be? Was it just anybody? No. Was it the guy who's had a lot of experience working in the grocery business, so he'll probably have some insight into this? Hmm, not necessarily. Was it the guys with the best skills to get the job done? Possibly. But that's not the qualifications that are given here, is it? Look at the qualifications. It says, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So in their, in their picking of these seven, the primary uh, requirements are these guys have to have a good reputation, they have to be full of the spirit, and they've got to be wise about what they're doing. And it's not... He has to own a semi-truck so that we can haul all the food from here to there. That'd be great. But the, the primary requirements for these deacons are, are spiritual requirements. They have to be trustworthy. They have to be people who, uh, when the 12 say, all right, these are the seven men that are chosen, they have to be people that the congregation goes, oh, yeah, that's a good pick. Good reputation. They have to be wise. They have to be um, filled with the Spirit, meaning their relationship with God is right on track. They're not the guy who comes, you know, once every couple of months and you're questioning, like, do you even believe? You know, like that's not the kind of guy that they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who is qualified, who's spiritual, who's walking with the Lord. And it's also interesting, this is kind of a side note, but all seven of those guys that they end up picking, um, all of them have Greek names. Um, kind of, you know, gives the picture that the, the Jews who were uh, natural to Israel and to Jerusalem were saying, all right, we realize there's a problem with the, the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking Jews. And in order to, you know, make this really work, like, we don't want it to seem like we're, we're trying to take charge of everything. So all seven of those guys came from the Hellenistic Jews. Could they have picked somebody, you know, who was from the hometown? Sure, they could have, but they didn't. And it was kind of a, a symbol of trust in these guys that, hey, you're part of us. You know, you belong here. And you guys recognize this problem. We recognize it too. 
we want to give you the authority to, to handle it, to take care of it. They did it. Presumably they did well. And so we have the deacons taking care of uh, the widows, this, this physical, tangible problem that was in the church. They're taking care of that. And the elders, what do they do? They get to focus on what they're supposed to be doing. The ministry of the word and prayer. So it's a, it's a win-win situation. And what are, what are the results of all this? Well, look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the, the results of this is just that the, the church continues to, to grow, to be healthy, to multiply. A great number um, of people were added to the church and even some of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a big deal. Like these priests were the ones who were organizing um, persecution against the church. These priests were the ones who would love a guy like Saul, who is zealous to go out and to find Christians and to make their life miserable. And, and even these guys were seeing the influence of the church and were going, huh. And they were hearing the elders preach the word, and they were going, huh. And they were believing, which is an amazing thing. So, Acts 6. Uh, what does a deacon do? I think this kind of answers that question. A deacon is someone who takes care of the practical physical needs that are in the church. In particular here, these guys took care of the problem with the widows and their food. Um, I don't think that this is the only thing that deacons can do. There are some people who say, well, a deacon's primary function then is to you know, work with widows and those in need. And I say, amen, I think that's great but I don't think that's the only thing that they can do. And the hard thing is that we have no other examples, really. Well, we have a, a few little snippets here and there, but no clear description of like, okay, this is the job description of a deacon. They uh, meet every so often and they do this and they take care of this and they do that, you know, and it's just, it's kind of ambiguous. The important thing, I think, is that the deacons are doing this role and the relationship between deacon and elder is the elders realize, hey, we have a physical need, we have a problem that needs taken care of, so we're going to appoint some elders to take care of this. So as part of the, the elder oversight of the church in general, um, part of the thing that we should be doing as elders is appointing deacons to take care of things if need be. So what does the deacon do? He serves. And he is an official servant because he has been uh, commissioned by the elders. When it says uh, that the, the 12 laid their hands on him and prayed for him, that's an official kind of installing that person into this position of, of service and saying, we give you authority. We're behind you. Go do it. So that's kind of what a deacon is. Um, who can be a deacon? Well, for that, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've already seen some of the quali qualifications of a deacon, but 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us... Uh, a lot more to work with as to uh, who these deacons should be. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8, says this. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So here in 1 Timothy, we have a description of deacons. And this comes right after the description that, uh, that Paul gives to Timothy of elders. And if you kind of compare the two, like I said, they're, they're fairly similar. They're all, um, all of these qualifications are character-based things. These are, this is the type of person that you want in this role or in this office in your church. And I've already said this, but the, the one main difference between the role of deacon and the role of elder uh, described here in 1 Timothy 3 is the able to teach. It's not mentioned under the requirements for deacon. That doesn't mean that a deacon can't teach. It's just that it's not required that they teach. Uh, if you look back at those seven who were picked uh, in the church, Stephen went on to give a pretty good sermon. Um, if you read the rest of Acts, you see him uh, preaching the word of God and he ends up getting killed because they didn't like what he was saying. So it's not that a deacon uh, can't teach, it's just that it's not a requirement to be a deacon. So what are the requirements? Well, uh, a deacon must be dignified. Um, that has the idea of they, they take things seriously. They are somebody who, um, who has the respect of others and treats others with respect. They're dignified. They're not your, your jokester who you never quite know. Are they serious? Are they joking? You know, like this, somebody who's dignified, they present themselves well, they take things seriously. It's not that they don't have a sense of humor, but they're just, they're dignified in the things that they do. They're not double-tongued, meaning they're not gonna say, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that, and then not do it. That would be a real problem if you had these guys who, who you entrusted to be deacons to take care of a problem and they said, oh yeah, sure, and then they didn't do it. That's, you need somebody who is not double-tongued, who's gonna say one thing and commit to that one thing, not say one thing and then do another thing. Um, not addicted to much wine. You don't want somebody who's an alcoholic taking care of things because there's a whole bunch of problems that come along with that. Not addicted to much wine. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Using the example of the, the church in Acts, they, these guys were supposed to be taking care of the widows and um, getting them food. And it's kind of uh, implied that there's probably money involved in this. Where are they getting the food? They're, they're handling things and they need to be responsible. They aren't supposed to be somebody who would skim a little bit off the top for themselves. That's not right. They're not Judas. You remember the description of Judas? Yeah, he, he handled the money for the 12, and what did he do? He skimmed a little off the top. Not to mention he sold out the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. That's not the kind of guy you want. He was greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Basically, they, they've got to be believers. They, they've got to understand the mystery of salvation. And just the, the mind-blowing thing that it is that God would come down to earth and die on a cross to take the punishment of our sin on himself and then freely offer that to anyone who believes. Freely offer salvation. That is crazy. And it is something that was a mystery in the sense that before Christ, Everybody was looking forward to this Messiah, but then when he came, he wasn't quite what they thought. He was mysterious, and then he died. 
And people went, what? What in the world is going on here? It, it was a mystery to them what the true Messiah was going to do. But he came and he did it. And now that Christ is, has died on the cross for their sins, Paul is going around and proclaiming, look, this is the mystery of Christ. And, and it's him on the cross. And if you believe, you can have salvation. And so they, they need to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, meaning they're going after it wholeheartedly. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I've got a clear conscience. This is how it is. And man, I'm going for it. Verse 10, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now this verse is what makes me really think that Acts 6 is talking about deacons. Because it says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. We have that whole process where the people chose guys of good character. They came to the 12. The 12 said, yeah. And, and there, was, there was some sort of testing. There was like uh, an interview process. I don't know what it looked like, but the people picked and then the elders said yes and then they commissioned them so there was there was some sort of process there that they went through and i i think you know that's what this is talking about here so the guys in acts did it right and this is what he's talking about there should be a process to picking these deacons then we get to verse 11 I thought we were talking about deacons. What's this stuff about wives? Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then verse 12 goes back to deacons. So what is, what is up with verse 11? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> and there have been a lot of people who have had a lot of different ideas. And one of the problems is the ESV translates this. It says, their wives. The problem is, there's no there in the original text. And the word used for wives could either be wives or women. Um, based on traditions and some other things, the ESV has chosen to say their wives. But really, it just says, women, likewise, must be dignified. Now... If you want to, you can pull out your red pen if you're daring enough. <laughs> and you could cross out their wives and you could put women. Um, that's the way that, that, you know, all that I read and, and studied, I really, I'm, I'm convinced that it should just be women. And then it goes on to, to give some qualifications, but another key word here is the word likewise. Paul is talking about deacons. Actually, first, he's talking about elders. And do you see in verse 9 where he says, deacons likewise? So he's talking about the office of elder, qualifications for that. And then he says, likewise, deacons. And then he talks about some qualifications. And then, likewise, women. And it fits that he's talking about these different offices of the church. So, Elder, deacon, women, why would, he, why would he make a distinction there? I think part of the reasoning why is because he's saying women can hold this office of deacon. And there's some specific things that I want to say to the women who might find themselves in this role. So what are those things? Well, they need to be dignified too, not slanderers. Women, I might get in trouble for this. I think more than men, this is a problem. Slandering is what? It's defaming somebody. It's saying it's the gossip. It's the, oh my gosh, did you hear about so-and-so? I can't believe they did that. 
And, and a woman who is holding the office of deacon cannot do that. None. There's no place for it. Because if you're out there helping, you know, in whatever, whatever the elders have, have given you to do, and maybe it's a benevolence type thing, and, and you see something going on, man, that temptation is going to be, go tell everybody. Whew. I just met with so-and-so, and they're a mess. Let me tell you. No, you can't do that. No slandering. You've got to be dignified. No slandering. You also need to be sober-minded and faithful in all things. And then back to kind of the general category of deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. Now that, that term, the husband of one wife, is, can be uh, thought of as a, a one-woman man. It doesn't necessarily preclude uh, somebody from service who has a divorce in their past. That's another rabbit trail that we could get on, and it's a good one, but I'm leaving it there. So uh, a one-woman man. Managing their children and their own households well. Um, this is just kind of uh, evidence of somebody who has these character qualities is that their household will be managed well. And maybe there is somebody who has those character qualities, but if their household is a mess, then they need to focus on that. That makes sense? So... This has got to be a, a person who has control of, of the household and, and things are going well and they have time and energy to focus on other things rather than how their household is going. So those are, are the, the qualifications for a deacon. And so we, we've kind of seen what a deacon does. They, they help with practical service things. They are commissioned by the elders these are the types of, of people that should hold that role. Um, those who are, are dignified, not double-tongued, down the line, could be a man or a woman. And you may think, well, wait a second. What about women can't be in leadership in the church, can they? Can they? Here's some... Uh, interesting things. Uh, Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 33 through 34 says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12 says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So, what's going on here? Well, these passages and these uh, limits that Paul puts on women in the church are all dealing with oversight, with preaching the word, with the things that the elders are supposed to be doing. What Paul is saying is the women should not take the elders' position because that's meant for the men in the church. They need to step up and do that. And the office of deacon, remember, is not a teaching office. It is a serving office. And so there, there appears to be uh, no problem with a woman taking that role of deacon. Now, some people would say, well, I'm a deaconess. If you want to call yourself a deaconess, that's fine. <laughs> the, that term deaconess didn't come into usage until about um, after, the, after the first century. And there are ancient writings that use that term deaconess. But at this point, when Timothy was written, deacon was the word. And man or a woman. Also, Romans uh, 16, 1 through 2 uh, turn back to Romans chapter 16. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints 
and to help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That word translated servant there is diacono, diacono I can't say that, which is the, the same word that refers to deacons in that official position. It's a little bit tricky because that word is, is really kind of just a general term for service, but um, many people think that this is a, an example of a woman who is a deacon. Uh, so many would say that it should be read, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sancria. Um, again, there are different thoughts on that, uh, but it, it seems to fit. It seems like this is a woman who is, who is serving at that church, and in particular, uh, being a patron, patron, meaning she is uh, using her wealth and her means to, to serve many people. And Paul says, I myself have uh, benefited from her service. So, huh, we're running out of time. I gotta wrap things up. What does the deacon do? Well, they are somebody who serves in the church in a, an official capacity. Uh, who should they be? They should be qualified according to uh, the terms of 1 Timothy 3. They're a person of character. Um, and why am I talking about this? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, uh, looking at this whole idea of service, uh, you know, last week we, we talked about how you as the body generally are supposed to be servants, but then there is this recognized official position of servant in the church. Um, what does that look like here at Edgewood Bible Church? Currently, we have three guys who are designated as, as deacons. We have uh, Jim DeRue, Chris Hackinson, Gary Rice. They take care of a, a number of things. Um, but we are talking or, or will be talking and have talked a little bit as an elder board about, you know, how, how are the deacons functioning at our church? And what about this idea of deaconesses? And um, so we're kind of in conversation about what, what this role is going to look like uh, in the church here. Um, so this is kind of a, a means of, of saying, here, here's what, you know, deacons, that, that office looks like. And, um, you know, we want you to be aware that, that this is something that, that the Bible deals with. And we want you to be aware that, hey, we're kind of, you know, looking at it. We're having a conversation as to what exactly the, the role of deacon is going to be here at Edgewood Bible Church. Um, another thing is, you may not officially be a deacon, but as far as personal application goes, we would all do well to look at these qualifications for a deacon and go, hmm, could I step into that position? You know, if, if the elders came up and said, hey, we have a need and we want, you know, we're gonna commission some deacons to, to take care of this, would you be able to step into that role? Are you a person of good character? Are you double-tongued? Are you addicted to much wine? Those things would disqualify you or qualify you. So there, you know, there is good reason for, for looking at these lists of qualifications and, and there is good personal application here. Like it, it would be great if any one of us could step into that role if need be. So, The purpose of, of this sermon this morning is, is one, just to, to get us thinking about, okay, how does God want us to, um, to run things as, as a church? It's clear that he wants elders to be the main oversight and the main leaders in the church and the main people who are, who are doing the teaching and the preaching. And then there's this other office of deacon, which is a, an office that at the discretion of, of the elders can be commissioned to do certain works. 
They need to be qualified. And the overall purpose is not to bring glory and honor to certain people, but so that the body itself functions well. And just like an ax is a good testimony and, and is capable of getting the gospel out and people seeing the church and going, I want to be a part of that because it's, it's amazing. You know, look, they take care of their widows. That's a really amazing thing. It's a, it's a practical way that we can show people we are the church. It's what they did in Acts. It's, you know, things like that that we can do with the office of deacon. And on a personal note, would you be ready? Could you be a deacon? Could you be a deaconess? It's a good thing to think about. And if not, then how are you going to order your life to where you, you could? So, Hopefully you've been informed and challenged this morning. And the, the role of deacon is, is an important thing and it's something that uh, hopefully as our conversation continues, we'll, we'll talk more about and we'll uh, maybe have opportunity for some of you to, to step up and to fill that role. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you are a God who... Uh, who gives order, who, um, who gives us a, a way that we can um, worship you that is, that is orderly, that is functional, and that brings glory to you and, and presents a, a good picture of who you are to the world. And Lord, we, we recognize that deacons and elders are, are part of that picture and uh, Help us to not see that as just kind of like um, kind of boring things that we have to do as a church, but as exciting opportunities for people to serve, for people to, to lead. And Lord, uh, I do pray that you would convict each and every one of us if there is you know, something that is uh, not right in our relationship with you, would you give us the, the motivation to take care of that? And Lord, would you use the elders here at this church to um, be faithful in, in preaching your word, in overseeing? Would you uh, work in the lives of, of those who are deacons to um, help them be, be people of character and, and be good at, at doing the tasks that are given to them? Um, Lord, we pray that, that you would just work in and through uh, our church here, Edgewood Bible Church. Help us to be faithful members of the church here, faithful elders, faithful deacons, all for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.